rather be home. I don't mean that I don't like being here, but I, I think I'd rather be home today lying down than doing this just because of the way I feel. But uh, it takes a little longer to get over back surgery than I thought. And so uh, we'll see how we do. I want to start with a few preparatory comments. <clears throat> and excuse me, and forgive me for this little <clears throat> thing. If you have a Bible, and hopefully everyone brings a Bible when you come here. If you don't, let me encourage you to bring the Word of Life. There's only one book which is worth reading. There's only one book in which all the information and material and the knowledge and the wisdom will go with us into heaven. So make sure we have our Bibles with us. Honors God. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3.9. And I, this is not part of the sermon. This is free. It's not an introduction to the sermon, so don't be worried about your notes. It's not part of the <clears throat> time that I'm given to speak this morning. It counts for nothing as far as all that's concerned. <laughs> is that okay to say that? just want to make sure that all of you know this, and perhaps some of you do, and I think I'm, and I'm sure I'm speaking for, for uh, Keith and Jeff and Matt to say this. <clears throat> this is how I feel about the ministry opportunities that God has given to me. And when I say this most unworthy man, at least my wife will understand that if you don't. The truth of that for being here. And the apostle says, for what thanks can we render to God for all of you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? I want you to know this. That it's of supreme joy, supreme satisfaction, supreme blessing to be available to any and all of you at any time for any reason. If any of you are receiving blessings from what God does through the leadership of the team, we're so glad and we know you are. But trust me, and you can ask Jeff and Keith and Matt if this is not so. Our blessing is greater than yours. So thank you so much for when you have needs, letting us know, sharing, coming to us. Don't stay away. In fact, if we know you have needs and are staying away, we will hunt you down. <laughs> We're not bashful. We're coming to get you. So thank you so much. I first wanted to say that <clears throat> my gratefulness and our gratefulness to the church and to the other and to the elders, Bill and Steve and Phil, and to the other covenant group leaders, as this large team of leadership serves with joy all the needs 
of God's family. Just think of it this way. Think of the joy that fills God's heart when his children having needs that those needs are being met. Amen? Think as a parent, as a grandparent. What brings you great joy is when when your kids or grandkids have a need, someone reaches out and helps them. That's great joy, isn't it? That's how the father feels. I do want to make a comment, and then we'll get that clock reset up there. Make a comment about Matt this morning. Many of you don't know this, but Matt has an extremely strong mean streak. He's retributive. Knowing that I could not shout, stomp, jump, dance, and run this morning, he sang victory in Jesus and when we all get to heaven. And then he concluded with holy, holy, holy. Now, I want, I want to do this publicly because if I don't do it publicly, Matt won't live up to this. See, I don't trust him. Since he's done this to me this morning, I no longer can trust his kindness. Will you promise that when I'm able to do what I like to do, that you'll sing these songs again? I didn't hear. I just saw a move of the head. I mean, you know, when we marry people, we don't want to do... We want to say, yes. I mean, we don't know whether they're going to sleep. You know, wake up. So, amen. Now, how many of you heard him say yes? Okay. You have a whole lot of witnesses here, son. I enjoy the worship. And I just have to say this, and let me encourage you in this. When we are singing the songs of great victory and joy in Jesus, please feel free. Now, some people may disagree with me, and if you do, well, that's your prerogative, but I'm going to say it anyway. Feel free to jump, to dance, and if you want to, to run up and down in the front. No, I mean this. I would have been running this morning, but I can't move very fast. So I was running in my mind. Amen? God is worth good excitement. And we're more excited about the Lord today than we've ever been in our lives. Even the day when I was born again. Almost forgot the word again. Okay. Well, this morning, as Keith has said, he's challenged us with, as Matt said, one of the most enormous challenges that you can do to any person who enjoys sharing what God has done, whether a teacher, counselor, or just one of the folks in the pew who just shares the gospel on a personal basis and not in front of many people at a time. What would we like you mostly to know about this church and to experience from being here? I must say this, you're going to have a difficulty in a couple of the areas of the sermon this morning following the notes, but do the best you can. Having finished the notes and given them to Evan May, who is a jewel among us and has been given to the leadership as a jewel, 
He really has. He ran the notes Friday. At 6.30 Saturday morning, the Lord is showing me how 80% of them have to change, not so much from the structure that you have, but from what I have. And then at 5 o'clock this morning, he shows me some more changes. And then at 8.30, he shows me a few more changes. My feeling is this. You just have to bring this to conclusion so some kind of way I can speak about something that I have enough of a grasp on to kind of make some sense this morning. So your notes are going to be perhaps a little difficult to follow in some areas. And it may mean that you have to take better notes on your own, but that would be encouraged anyway. But you see, anytime we speak, anytime we preach, even if we have a subject, even if we have a portion of Scripture, it isn't that we just get up and say something about the Scripture. We seek God diligently in prayer, and we seek to know what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to the church, how the Holy Spirit wants it to be said, and then wants to apply that particular word that the Lord wants to speak to the church that particular morning in your hearts. And so that's always the challenge of the ministers. Not just to take a scripture and kind of put some stuff together and give you some information and make a nice story of it, but to hear from the heart of God what is our Father wanting to speak to His family this morning. And so sometimes that changes from day to day as we prepare. What would we want you mostly to experience, at least from my perspective? You know, when we read the Scriptures from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation, there is a theme and an emphasis that runs from the very beginning to the very end. And that is this. The necessity and the centrality the significance, the fundamentalness of the presence of the person and work of the Holy Spirit in anything and in everything that God does. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the very beginning words of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the waters or the deep. And the Spirit of God moved over the surface of the waters. God the Father determines creation. God the Son is the agent of creating as God speaks. And the Holy Spirit is involved in the application of the speaking of the Word of God. Right there you see all three persons of the Godhead right up front in the beginning of the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit. You remember in Exodus 31, 13 when the Lord is leading the people, has led them into the wilderness and God is going to manifest His presence among the people in a dwelling place, in a tent. And so for the construction of the tent... And for all the furnishings that go in the tent, God is going to equip certain people, certain men, 
with ability and understanding and wisdom and all the anointing that is necessary to construct a tabernacle which God has designed will be his dwelling place. And this is what is said in Exodus 31, 1 through 3. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezaliel, the son of Uri, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and knowledge and in all kinds of craftsmanship. So for the creation, the Holy Spirit is there. For the construction of the tabernacle, the Holy Spirit is central to the construction of the tabernacle. You remember when Moses is transferring the leadership of Israel from himself to Joshua... Remember Joshua being the, the leader who takes the Israelites across the Jordan into the new land and is the one who leads the nation, conquering all the nations of Canaan. And here's what the Lord says in Numbers twenty-seven eighteen. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit. The Spirit of God was necessarily filling and settling upon and dwelling with and coming upon Joshua in order for him to fulfill his burden, the burden of the Lord, to lead the people in victory in the establishment of the nation in Canaan. If the Holy Spirit had been left out of any of this, none of this would have happened. It's not that God did it and was kind to the Holy Spirit and said, why don't you take a little place in this? Without the Holy Spirit's presence and activity, none of these and, and nothing, nothing would have happened at all and never will happen. You remember King David, after he has sinned, his great grief, his huge grief is not, am I going to lose my kingdom? Am I going to get in trouble? Am I going to be stoned? Am I going to be fought poorly of the grief that grips his heart and the fear that grips his heart mostly is this take not thy spirit from me you see we can lose everything in life even to the dearest person and still get through it how many of you have lost very dear relatives how many of you have lost dear relatives but you can make it through. Why? Because you have God's Spirit. <clears throat> you see, it's the Spirit of God that is most essential in our lives. You can't live except as a fleshly person without the Holy Spirit's activity in your life. Remember the announcement of the birth of Jesus and the activity in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Remember in Luke 1.35, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon Mary and conceive in her the seed of the woman. You remember the, John, the, the parents of John the Baptist are filled with the Holy Spirit. And Zacharias is given the ability to prophesy and Elizabeth is given the ability to conceive John the Baptist. You remember when Jesus, after he is born on the eighth day, they take him to the temple for the rite of circumcision. And the old man called Simeon, who has been serving in the temple for years, 
has been waiting for the revelation of God and he sees this little boy, this little baby, this eight-day-old child walking in with his mom and him and all of a sudden being filled with the Holy Spirit, given revelation and understanding and wisdom and discernment. He see, it says, now my eyes have seen the Messiah. How did he know it? Because you see, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He recognized the Messiah, this little child, this eight-day-old child. Remember when Jesus, at 30 years old, goes to the Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist. And you remember these verses in Luke 3 and Luke 4. Jesus also was baptized, and while he was praying, heaven opened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness. And how does he know and how is he equipped to go into the wilderness? Jesus himself the Son of God needed to be anointed by and led by and imbued with power by God's Spirit. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led about in the wilderness by the Spirit. And for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Do you remember that encounter? And you remember that he came out victoriously. And the Bible says in verse 14 of Luke 4, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. I've said that Evan May is a jewel for us. I asked him if he would print for me all the references of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Fifteen pages. 15 pages. Now, if you like a copy of this, I think it's in your notes how to do it. You just go to the website and click on some of these things, sermon and whatever, and I think it'll tell you how to do that. You never want me to be able to tell you, I mean, to tell you that because I won't know what I'm telling you. But if you want a definitive list of all the references of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, just to make sure that what we're saying today is true, that the Holy Spirit is the central person in the New Testament who is making the work and person of Jesus Christ real, go and get this, 15 pages, and that's 10 point, or 12 point. 10 point, I think it was a little less, but I asked him to make it 12 so most of us can read it. So this morning... What do I believe? I believe the Lord wants us to experience. I want you to keep that word very close to you. I believe the Lord wants us to experience. How many of us know the difference between knowing a person by the letters that the person has written and maybe some photographs. And there's a way to know that kind of a person. But what a difference when we get to see the person and meet that person personally and begin a personal interchange. What it does is cause the person to be known by us and for us to be able to come together and communicate 
and our lives can begin to be blended together because we are now experiencing this person. And what is written about the person validates some of the experiences and perhaps all of the experiences. But the most important thing, and I think the primary thing that happens in all of our lives is this, that we must experience God First, to be born again, because being born again is an experience. And secondly, in order to grow in Christ, we must experience, feel the Holy Spirit and his work and revelation and understanding and cleansing and forgiving and empowerment in us. We must make sure that we are correctly emphasizing experience and then bringing that experience underneath the word of God for our understanding and application of that experience, but never separating the knowledge of the word of God and our experience, but making our experience become compatible to the word so the two become one. Because you see, for us to really understand the word of God, we have to experience it. How many of you have read the word a lot and you know it's okay but then how many of you have read the word and all of a sudden something on the inside of you changed and God touched you in a way that made it all the difference amen all the difference in the world so this morning I believe that the Lord wants us to experience personally and more fully the person and work of his spirit why so that we will experience the same kind of transformation and power in ministry that we see in the scriptures if we were to take a poll of the world or perhaps even of the church and ask this what is man's greatest need some would say economy you know the stock market the money the portfolios the 10 K's, whatever they, what those things are called, 401 K's, whatever they are, I, whatever, whatever. Uh, some of us would say ecology. We need to be green. Some of us would say the politics, peace on earth, terrorism. And all those are important needs, but there is one need which is most fundamental to every human being, and that's this. Our greatest need is to experience God. There's not a greater need. Simply put, there is no greater need than for us to experience the truth, the reality, the power, the transformation, the personality the intimacy with our God. In order for us to have the, the joyful fellowship with Him, there's no greater need. You see, humanity is seeking prominence, seeking meaning, satisfaction. You see people doing this all the time. Safety, care, comfort, joy, peace. They're seeking, and we'll put it together in one word, they are seeking love they're seeking the love of god that's what they're looking for because that's what they don't have talk about unsaved people us before we were born again they're seeking the experience of knowing god it makes all the difference in the world in 1964 when i came to lakeview christian center to be baptized having received christ through the ministry of one of the members of the church 
Daniel Ronces Valley baptized me in that old building in April of 64. To tell you how long ago it was, Bill Treby had black hair in those days. <laughs> and more of it. I can testify to having more hair. And that was wonderful. But something occurred in my life in 72 that made the single biggest impact and difference in me. And that's when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's when the Holy Spirit came upon me. I was just reading a magazine. I was minding my own business. But I knew, but God more knew this. I needed a greater personal experience of God in order to be a man who would be used more effectively for his purposes and for his work of transformation to be more effective and widespread in my life. I needed that. So how can our needs be found? All of our needs, whatever they are, can only be found in a personal and vibrant fellowship with God. Turn to 1 John 1, 1 through 4. It's way back in the back of the Bible. 1 John, a couple of books before Revelation. And John is writing to the church. And he's explaining to them what their greatest need is. It's fellowship with God. Fellowshipping with God. And the apostle says this to the church. What was from the beginning, what we have heard. He's talking about his personal knowledge and relationship with Jesus when Jesus was on the earth and John was one of his disciples. That's what he's talking about here. What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and have touched with our very hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship with God is absolutely necessary and central to our lives. And it is central to our fellowshipping with one another. To the extent that we are having a vibrant and deep and intimate and biblical fellowship with God, we will have the same kind of fellowship with one another. And if you see your fellowship with anyone else or others in the church that is breaking down or having a difficulty or being strained that you're not able to do or you're not doing as well as you should do and you have attitudes and feelings and resentments and whatever against anyone or circumstances of other people or draining you, know this, that the core of the problem is not the other person it's your fellowshipping with God you see the source of everything that we need is contained within our fellowship with God can you say amen Amen. not to say amen because I said it but because it is true remember what the apostle Paul tells uh, the Corinthians Why has God saved us? He says, for God is faithful through whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. We were called into the fellowship of God's son. Isn't it amazing that we, who were the enemies of God, were protractedly disobedient 
that God has sent his son to pay the full, final, and forever price on the cross for all of our guilt and all of the pain and all of the sin so that we could have fellowship with him forever. It's an amazing story. It's a scandal. You see, that's why other religions hate Christianity so much. It's a scandal that God himself would carry in himself the very impurities of those whom he desired to save and die on the cross. Well, how does this fellowship occur? If fellowship is centrally necessary, how does it occur? 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this church, we proclaim the grace of God through Jesus Christ's birth, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. That's the grace of God. Amen? We proclaim the grace of God. So he says, the f- grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. Why did Jesus come to do what he did? Because of the love of God. And so, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So how do we have the grace of Jesus Christ? How do we experience the love of God? It must and can and will only occur to the extent that we are fellowshipping with God because of the work of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Who's the Spirit? Very quickly. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. I think everybody knows that. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, some of the titles of the Holy Spirit are given. The Spirit of God in Genesis. Spirit of the Lord in Luke. 1 Corinthians. The Spirit of our God. 2 Corinthians. The Spirit of the living God. And many more. Many, many more. Many proofs that the Spirit of God is fully God, just as the Father is fully God, just as the Son is fully God. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And so when we experience the Holy Spirit, we experience all that God has for us to experience, and we experience all that Jesus has done for us to experience. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's not it. You remember in 1426 of John, Jesus is telling the disciples about the coming of the Spirit before Jesus goes to the cross. And he says this, The help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He, He will teach you all things. So if you are calling the Spirit it, then please change your terminology and say He, Him, Whom, Who. It's those personal first-person pronouns, not the third person it. Because He's a person. Now, what has the Holy Spirit come to do? We said that fellowshipping with God is on the basis of the Holy Spirit. Well, what is the necessity of the Holy Spirit? Where is his place in the church? Listen to what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says. The Holy Spirit is the applier of salvation. Now, what does that mean? That means apart from the Holy Spirit, you cannot be saved. The very reason and foundation that we are saved today is because of the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
It is his work to bring us, bring to us and to make actual in us in an experiential way, in a feeling reality way, that great salvation which we have been considering together and which the Son of God came into the world in order to work out. J.I. Packer says this, Were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit, there would be no gospel, no faith, no church, no Christianity at all in the world. So you see, the Holy Spirit is the most... If we would ask, who's the most essential person in the church? It's not Peter Davidson, certainly not that. That's obvious. That would never have been said. The Holy Spirit is the most important and essential person and minister and preacher in the church of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. What does he come to do? How is he going to work out this fellowshipping with God? In John 15, 26, Jesus tells the disciples this. He says, when the, spirit, when the helper comes, the spirit of truth, he will be a witness of me. The Spirit's work is not to testify about himself and bring attention to himself. The Spirit's work is to make Jesus' person and work, his character, his ministry, his glory, to be manifested in, in who we are, so that in us, others will see Christ. He testifies of me so that as we live our lives, others hopefully can say, it's obvious Jesus lives in you because of who you are, because of what I see God doing in your life. And I asked someone the other day, you remember Samson? Some of you see the movie? You remember Samson? If we were to ask the average person, what do you think Samson looked like? Well, he probably, we would say, looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger on steroids. You know, about 6'8", muscle-bound like this, walking around, you know, like that. And so when we see Samson ripping down the gates of the city and running down the hill with these gates over his head, what would you say? Eh, I've seen him bench. I'm not surprised, Right? How many to us would that have been a revelation of greatness? So we can kill a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Well, I guess he can. Have you ever seen him work out? But suppose Samson looked like Keith. (laughs) You see, you thought I was going to say about me. I'm way beyond Keith and this deal. <laughs> and some of you are afraid I was going to say about Matt, because I'll never forget this. And so, suppose he looks like Keith. Now, Keith's an average dude. Probably bench, what, 35, 40 pounds you can bench? <laughs> Squat about 80? Suppose, suppose Keith ripped down the gates and picked up the thousand-pound gate and started running down the hill, and it didn't crush him. What would you then say? Oh, my word. That's very strange. 
Something beyond Keith is happening. I see Keith doing it, but yet I see something else. Amen? How many of you would recognize that something else is happening in Keith? We would have to say there's some kind of power that has been given to the man to do that extraordinary work. Jesus says the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be a witness of me. So in the midst of our weakness and frailty and failure and sin, the Holy Spirit takes all of that and begins to deal with it and causes us to be the kind of people that when we pick up the thousand-pound gate and begin to run down the hill with it, Others can see it's not that person it is, but it isn't. That person has been endued some kind of way with something that I need to find out about one way or the other. The Holy Spirit does that. Don't try to pick up any heavy gates without the Holy Spirit telling you to do that. You remember what Jesus calls the Holy Spirit? He calls him the helper, the counselor. He is the one who makes the truth of God real. Remember, when he, the helper, or the counselor comes, even the spirit of truth, he will testify of me. He makes truth a reality in us. Now, what does truth mean? Truth is not just a set of correct statements or a knowledge of something that is accurate. That's a part of truth. Never think that you're telling the truth just because you have the facts right and you're going to tell somebody the truth. Never think that. Because you can blast someone all the way through a wall with your truth of facts and destroy. And that is not truth in the biblical sense. Truth is a man. I am the way, truth in the life. Truth is a man. Truth is a man who tells you the right things, specifically the facts. But truth is also the man who tells you in a way that's genuinely from God's heart of compassion and care and in a way that you can receive it and benefit from it. Truth is having God's timing. Truth is determining the purpose of sharing. Truth is having God's heart of reconciliation and building up. Truth is for the purpose of bringing the glory to God and making sure that God himself is honored in what is said. You see, it's just not the message of the gospel that's important. The gospel is not the gospel in its full power unless the message and the manner of the gospel are communicated truthfully. That's truth. So Paul says, what? Communicate the truth in what? What? In love. So it will really be truth. So the Holy Spirit takes the truth of God. He takes all that there is of the Lord Jesus. Not just the sayings and the facts. But the very man himself. And begins through our fellowshipping with him. To apply that man and who he is into our lives so that we can be changed. And what is the essential truth that the Spirit of God desires us to know about Him? 
I believe, the central truth that God wants us to know about him. And there's a lot here, but we're going to get it down to one word. Is love. Is love. How do we become, <clears throat> how do we come cha- become, ch- how do we come to be changed into the image of God's son for his glory? We experience and we understand and we practice the love of God. The love that God has for us. You know, God's most intense desire is stated in many places, but I want to quote Romans 5, 5. Romans 5, 1 talks about being justified by faith and then glorying in the gospel. And then he says, we not only glory in this, you know, in the work of God, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing something, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint. Why? Because in verse 5, because the love of God, because you see, the love of God, the love of God is shed abroad, is poured out, is inundated upon us. It's the same word that is used in Titus 3. It's the same word that is used in Acts 2. Poured out, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And we become partakers in and we become developed by and purveyors of the love of God as we fellowship with the Holy Spirit, as we make the person and presence of the Holy Spirit primary and explicit in our lives, not taking him for granted. You see, I have done that, sorry, Evan did that 15-page document for you to see this, that the person and work of the Holy Spirit, when you look into the New Testament, he's never taken for granted. They just don't say, well, the Lord did this or the Lord said that or God did the other thing. That's fine. But they bring it down to the actual person of God who is involved with and responsible for the activity. And they say the Holy Spirit. Now, I think this is important. Because, you see, if we don't make the Holy Spirit explicit, we will miss it. If we don't make him explicit, we're going to assume on him. And the apostles never assume. They say, I need the Holy Spirit. They say, I've been had this by the Holy Spirit. I go here by the Holy Spirit. I have re, uh, had this relationship by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is all over the place in their lives. They are a group of men who make the presence and power and necessity of the Holy Spirit absolutely central and explicit in their lives. And this is what <clears throat> I believe the Lord wants to make sure that we do. Let's not be a church that assumes and takes for granted that what we are experiencing and what we need and what is happening is, of course, from God. But we don't make it down clear that, the, uh, that in the same way the Bible does, that it's the Holy Spirit who is doing this. Otherwise, we denigrate what God is doing. Because, you see, if God didn't want you to know it was the Holy Spirit, these men would not be saying it like that. You see, it's the communication of the love of God is the very heart and basis of our fellowship with God. Maybe I shouldn't have yelled too much this morning. Turn to Ephesians three fourteen. Let 
Paul is praying for the church. And in the midst of his instruction, he stops. He says, I need to pray. He says, I want to make sure you get this. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Why? For what purpose? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, in God's love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know, to experience, epinosi, to experience the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. It is God's purpose and intention in giving us His Spirit that we experience and express the very same love of God that God the Father has for God the Son that you see in John 17, 26. That we experience, therefore express. Now what happens here? Well, what happens here is, if you turn to Galatians 5.22, you begin to see that the work of the Holy Spirit in us begins to challenge the work of the flesh. And the Holy Spirit patiently and kindly and purposefully and persistently and gently, sometimes loudly, whatever is needed, begins to intertwine our lives with his life. And the two begin to be intertwined so that we are more and more being taken over or at least being transformed into the new person whom we are in Christ. can't tell you how many times the Lord has had to tell me whether he had to do it quietly or loudly or through whatever means to let me know what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is not of me. It's not love. It's something else. And so the Holy Spirit so carefully challenges us and changes us. And without that work of the Holy Spirit in us, none of us can change. I remember several years ago, one of the ladies of the church, who's no longer here, was being challenged by her son, and she was hot because of his activities of sin. And I think she really kind of wanted to kill him, you know what I mean? She was tired of it. And the Holy Spirit gave me one of these illustrations which I need to apply to my own life more, I think, than she did to her own life. I said, if you were growing 
one of these little green things that you want to wrap around. What do they call these little vine-looking things? Hmm? Vines? Ivy or whatever? And it's growing in the wrong direction. But you want it in the other direction. What would you do? Well, move it. But, but how would you move it? Well, I'd, you know, take it and carefully move it and whatever. Be very careful with why. Because I don't want to pull it apart. I don't want to break it. I don't want to kill it. I said, well, is your son more valuable than the vine? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't you love those kinds of questions like, mm-hmm. I said, yet, isn't it interesting how more carefully we will take care of things than we will ca- take care of relationships? How more patient we will be with our stuff and our work and our things than we are with other people. And yet, you see, the Holy Spirit is the gardener. And how many of us have experienced the very careful removing of our lives or an attitude or a thought or a word or whatever it is from the wrong direction and has moved it over and begun to entwine it around his own direction? How many times has God done that? And in doing so, You see, we experience the careful love of God through that work. And in experiencing it, we begin to become partakers of it and begin to practice as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit that grace. What does the Holy Spirit bring us? The love of God. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What happens? As God is entwining our lives with Him by the Holy Spirit, the cross of Christ is being revealed in us. The grace of God is being revealed in us and expressed through us to a lost and dying world. You know, there's no greater need than any of us have. How many times have we sat with folks in the church, overcome by sin, overcome by circumstances, overcome by whatever? And if we're not careful, we say, read this, do this, think this way. But if we're not careful to say it's all done under the leadership and in the power of God's Spirit, it will become a mechanical activity which will lead to more difficulty. I believe the primary concern of God is this for this church. That He wants us to experience His fellowship of love 
as we actively acknowledge and pursue and receive and obey the person and work of his spirit. We need to be a people who actively ask God to minister the things of God to us by the Spirit. Every time I feel the way I shouldn't, every time I'm thinking the way I shouldn't, every time I'm desiring the way I should not, I have to go to God and first confess it as wrong, as sin. And then say this, Father, I ask you by the Holy Spirit, because I recognize it is the work of the Holy Spirit, to flush my mind or my feelings and to flood me with your presence. <clears throat> to flush and to flood. to flush and to flood. I believe that many of us are carrying around things that we ought not to because we're not seeking God the way He wants us to seek Him. We're not making much over His Spirit. And we need to make a lot more. What will the love of God produce in us? Just a lot, but it will produce... God-honoring obedience. You're going to obey the one whom you love. To the extent that you're not obeying, there's fault and fractured in your fellowship. And you go to God and you confess this and you ask, Father, would you send the Holy Spirit upon me to correct, improve mature or whatever, an area of fellowship in me which needs to be dealt with. What will the love of God produce in our lives? Cheerfully serving one another, joyfully serving one another. We serve those whom we love. And as we serve the brethren in the church, we serve the Lord. What will the love of God do? It will create in us to be cheerful givers, cheerfully giving to the very work of him who has done everything in our lives. What will the love of God do in our lives? It will cause us to be able to overcome sin. To overcome sin. If sin is reigning and ruling in your life and if there's control issues in your life, part of the root of the problem is that you're not experiencing the power of God's presence and the power of his love to break and overcome that sin because you love the sin more than you love the God who wants to break the sin. We do what we mostly want to do. Evangelism, the love of God moving us to evangelize, to share this love which we've had shed abroad in our hearts. The love of God over victory over Satan. The love of God as a victory over Satan. Sometimes we don't think that way, but it was the love of God poured out of the cross that crushed Satan's head. You see, this is why, in closing, Jesus commanded the church, the disciples. This is what he said. This is his command to his spirit 
given disciples. He's given the Spirit to them in John chapter 20. I think it's about verse 20 or 22. He breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And then he says this. Look, before you go out into the world to minister, I need, you need to do this. You need to have the power, the inundation, the flooding, the pouring out of my presence in ministry and in character development before you step out into that world. You need to have a presence about you that is so imbued with my spirit and you are so in touch with me and the reality of what I'll do and who I am by the spirit that every, all of your thoughts about yourself and about the ministry. Everything is within the context of the Holy Spirit doing all of this. The Holy Spirit is the very life of the church. He is the life of the church. And so Jesus says this, don't go out and begin to minister until this. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the Father, what the Father had promised. John baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In a few days from now. If you've not experienced, and I say experienced, that love of God, that presence of God, that goodness of God, that life-changing activity of God since you believed. I don't have to say I believe. I know the Lord wants you to have that. So that you can be a spirit-filled and led and empowered believer for God's glory. After our salvation, I believe that the greatest need of the church is to be filled with the power and presence of God for everything that we need. And for those who have been baptized initially and the Holy Spirit has poured himself out upon you as we see in Romans 5, 5. We need to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember in Ephesians 5, 18, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? What's going to be the result? He said, you'll speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, as Matt talked about last week. We'll relate as a family, as Jeff talked about the week before last, and we'll be bringing in whatever Keith is going to talk about next week. How do I know it? Because you see, the Spirit is the one who does all of this in us and through us. So let's strive to do this. Let's make as our primary project, if you would, primary focus, my need, our need, not just for the Spirit, because every believer has the Spirit, but for the inundation and empowerment and explicitness of the Holy Spirit in my life. Let's be a church that will not take the Holy Spirit for granted and make him second rate. Anything taken for granted is second rate. How many of your wives want to be taken for granted? Neither does God. Neither does God the Holy Spirit. We don't want to do what the Bible says. Do not quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve him.
one of the things that would be very important for us as a pastoral team would be that the Word of God be received and experienced in our lives and not just listened to and heard. It would be an honest analysis to say that today in America and across the world there will be gatherings like this where many, many people will read from the Bible and have some words that would be said. But the Bible calls for much, much more than that. It calls for our lives to bear the fruit that the presence of God is in us. And that is a very experiential thing. That's not just something we talk about. It's something we experience. It's the way we live. It's who we become. Now, I want to ask us something, and then I want to spend some time today at the close of our service today opening up an opportunity for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in this setting. And that should occur. And I realize for some, maybe you've been used to the, what happens at the end of the message is, amen, a prayer, a song, and everybody goes home. But you know, sometimes what God wants to do is he wants to minister to us personally, right where we are. He wants to get into our world. He wants to speak your name. He wants to use your address and the issue in your life from three days ago. And, and he wants to get real with you. And that would be a passion for us. It'd be a passion for me in my own walk. God, be real in my life. And I want to ask you a question. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Let me ask another question with that one, just to make this a little bit more provocative. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, those are two different questions that deserve two different answers. For some here, you would answer like some folks in the Bible. I've never even heard of that. For some people, there would be the answer of, well, you know, I had an experience in the Lord 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when I was young. Well, that's not really what I'm asking. I'm asking you, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, if we want to do a blood test real quick, let's, let's do a blood test real quick on the last page of Peter's notes. How are you doing in the area of obedience? When the Lord convicts you, are you quick to respond? When God charges you and directs you, do you get in agreement with God and get about doing what he called you to do? When God points out an issue of sin in your life, do you relinquish it to him? Or do you negotiate? Get around to it at another point. Joyfully serving one another. Or just, I mean, just how about just the matter of joy? Do you have joy in your life? That's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy is a manifestation of the Spirit. Giving. Do you give in your life? Do you feel awkward when the subject of giving comes up? Are your finances something that are uniquely controlled by you and you don't have this sense of the Spirit's direction and faith to give and joy in doing so. The gifts of the Spirit, serving and being used by God in unusual ways, beyond natural capacity. Overcoming sin by the Spirit. I mean, this is a, this is a pretty encompassing list. Overcoming 
sin. You still got those pet sins that, you know, it's sort of like your name and then a parenthesis and that sin and then your last name. It's so much a part of you. Everybody knows you. Don't you? They know your name. They know that about you. And it's been in your life for so, so long. Now, listen, if we went down this list and we said, do we have joy? Is there giving? Do we have the gifts of the Spirit? And if we answer no to that, then we have to go back and review the question we just answered. Are you filled with the Spirit? Because if we're not obedient, then we're not filled with the Spirit. If we're not manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, then we're not filled with the Spirit. So let's, let's survey our, our lives for a moment. Are we filled with the Holy Spirit? And, you know, as I have been praying, studying, and thinking about our future, I think that there are times, and I'm going to say this with about a half-baked revelation in this, I think there are times that we pray for things prematurely. And what we end up doing is we pray for things without faith. We pray for things without a posture to receive them. And when you do that long enough as a Christian, over time, what you end up believing is that doesn't occur this way anymore. And we don't consider, well, did we ask in faith? Were we postured to receive? You know, Peter didn't get to that last verse in your outline there. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with just a question. What do you get when you search for God with half your heart? What do you get when you search for God with a compromising heart? What do you get? Well, you don't get to claim that verse. I don't know what you get. But you don't get to claim that verse. Because that verse does say, all my heart. And, and what Peter described in Acts chapter 1, where just a few days from now, the Holy Spirit was going to fall on a group of individuals. The one thing I think about those folks that they had over some of us was for three years, they had been prepared by Christ in the category of all. Following Christ had cost them all. So that when the Spirit was poured out, they could receive from God. Because, see, there wasn't a category in their life that wasn't God's. Now, this morning, I, I want us to pray. I want us to pray for you. But I don't want prayer to be premature. And I don't want you to miss something. Because, quite honestly, I say, who, who wants to be filled with the Spirit? Well, there's a question that comes before that. Who wants God to be supreme in all areas of your life? Because if I don't ask that one and we just jump to the next one, which is what many churches do, which is what we've done often, prayed for many folks, but don't think are postured to receive. Are you ready for God to be all? You, you cannot be here this morning grieving the Holy Spirit and receiving from the Holy Spirit. You, you cannot do that. I would know that in this room right now, there would be issues in our hearts that would be grievous to the Spirit of God. I mean, right now, is there, is there anybody you're hesitant to go to? So any issue of unforgiveness in your life is an area of obedience that God has said, do something, and you just won't do it. You cannot grieve the Spirit of God and then say, but I want to receive from the Spirit of God. You cannot do that. So it may be that if you're not willing to say all to you, Lord, all. I, I seek after you with all 
of who I am, then you're not ready for anybody to pray for you to be filled. So maybe that's where we need to start for some this morning. Maybe some need to start with, God, I I need to make sure you're my all. Nothing's more important. I'm, I'm, I'm eager to be obedient in any category. I'm ready to trust you in any category. God, I withhold nothing from you today. Guys, I believe where God wants this church to go, it takes disciples who will walk that way with God. See, Jesus has already called people that way before he said, you want to be filled with the Spirit? He'd already called them that way, remember? Take up your cross, deny yourself, come follow me, and then after that comes the filling of the Spirit. People don't take up their cross, don't get filled by the Spirit. These things go together. So let's start there this morning. Let's stand up together. And here is, here is the ministry of the Spirit in our midst. The ministry of the Spirit right now is, is being personal. So I, I want you to be personal with God. I want you to get beyond the words that I'm using. And I want you to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you, speaking words of conviction, speaking words of correction, speaking words of ins- inspiring you to trust Him more, to not be fearful speaking about competing agendas and ambitions in your heart that he wants to be supreme over. He wants you to open your hand to him. He wants you to trust his future is better than the one you could have or you could ask him for. God, I pray this morning for us. God, I pray where you want to take us, we can go. God, I pray that the future that you have for us as your people